This week, the media blew up over President Trump's allegations last Friday night at a rally that there had been some sort of terrible event in Sweden. He said, quote, last night. They suggested that Trump had mentioned a phantom terror attack in the same way Kellyanne Conway mentioned the Bowling Green massacre and Sean Spicer referenced a terror attack in Atlanta that never happened. Here's what Trump actually said in his speech. We've got to keep our country safe. You look at what's happening in Germany. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden. Who would believe this? Sweden. They took in large numbers. They're having problems they never thought possible. This is a near-perfect example of how Trumpian rhetoric polarizes the electorate. Why? Because Trump was wrong to say something had happened in Sweden last night. Nothing had happened that night. But he was absolutely right to point out increased crime problems among Muslim immigrants to Sweden. Conservatives reacted to Trump's comments by pretending that Trump had never used the phrase last night. Leftists pretended nothing terrible had ever happened in Sweden ever, ever, ever. Then... Last night, actually last night, news broke of a Muslim immigrant rally. This is from the local newspaper. Sweden's capital was plunged into chaos on Monday as police were forced to fire at rioters after violence erupted in an area described as high risk. The terrifying scenes took place just hours after the country's prime minister, Stefan Löfven, slammed Donald Trump for claiming Sweden was in crisis as a result of its liberal refugee policy. Stockholm police were forced to fire a shot into the rampaging crowd in the hard-hit suburb of Rinkby after a mob of around 30 thugs started attacking the officers with rocks. Violence erupted after the police had tried to arrest a wanted person on the subway. Here's the thing. Sweden does have a serious problem with rising rates of rape correlating with increased immigration from Muslim countries. As Joe Curl of Daily Wire points out, quote, there were 66.5 cases of reported rapes per 100,000 inhabitants last year. That's triple, right? It's up from 24.9 in 2003. It's one heck of a jump. Even ABC News was forced to acknowledge that Trump wasn't entirely wrong. This is from ABC News. Last year, 112,645 violent crimes were reported in Sweden, an increase from 108,739 in 2015, 108,071 in 2014, and 104,738 in 2013, according to the Swedish National Council for Crime Prevention. Those numbers include attempted murder, muggings, and rape, but not other types of sexual assault and murder, the council said. And this is from one of the mayors of one of the towns. He said the police reports don't have a box you tick about whether it's a Swedish citizen or an immigrant. The, the, the council looks instead at a number of factors, according to ABC News. The council looks at a number of social factors, including income and education, but not immigration status or ethnicity. Trump rightly tweeted, give the public a break. The fake news media is trying to say that large-scale immigration in Sweden is working out just beautifully. Not, all capital letters, like we're in 1993. Malmo, Sweden, has turned into a hotbed for anti-Semitism thanks to rising Muslim immigration. Here's Fox News on the rising problem of violence in Malmo. Last month, the police chief for the southern Swedish city of Malmo issued a desperate plea for help, curtailing a plague of attempted murders, beatings, and rapes. About 32% of Malmo's occupants are migrants, although it is not clear what role migrants play in the crime wave. We cannot do it on our own, Chief Stefan Sintius wrote in an open letter about the upward spiral of violence. Malmo had 52 hand grenade attacks in 2016 alone, a jump from 48 attacks in 2015, according to figures provided by the Swedish police authority. You want to know why conservatives don't trust the media? It's because of media overreach, suggesting that when conservatives get a specific wrong, but the general right... The general is also wrong. That's not an excuse for Trump to make silly mistakes. He's the president. But it does demonstrate why conservatives are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt so long as he's talking about real problems the left refuses to contemplate. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
Okay, tons to get to on today's show. As always, we're going to get to the emotionality of the left, why they seem to be over-emotional about this election. We're going to talk about the ongoing war between Trump and the media. And uh, we're having a special guest later in the program, as well as deconstructing the culture. But first, we have to say thank you to our advertisers over at Bowlin Branch. So... Bowling Branch is one of these advertisers where I've actually spent my own money on their product. So they sent me a free set of sheets, and I love the sheets so much that I went and I bought a second set of sheets on my own dime because they make the best sheets. I'm a very light sleeper. I don't sleep well. Bowling Branch sheets make me sleep better. And the reason they make me sleep better is they are breathable. They are, they are light. They are, they are airy. They, like, you, know, you don't know what it's like to sleep in a nice set of sheets until you've actually done it. You think to yourself, okay, what's the difference between the $10 set of sheets that you get at the, at the local gas station and a $500 set of sheets or a $1,000 set of sheets. The reality is it makes a huge difference. It can absolutely affect the quality of your sleep. I can vouch for that. It has made my sleep a lot better, which is important to me since my children don't let me sleep. So the five minutes when I sleep better be good. So Bowl and Branch is the place that you go for all of this. You go to bowlandbranch.com today, get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. Don't worry, the sheets are not only affordable, they're much more affordable than luxury sheets elsewhere. It's bullandbranch.com, B-O-L-L, and branch.com, promo code Ben. Make sure you use the promo code Ben so they know that we sent you, and also because they are uh, because you will then get that $50 discount off your first set of sheets. Totally worth it. You're going to love it, I promise. Okay, so I want to talk today about the absolute mental breakdown that is apparently happening among some folks on the left because of Donald Trump's election. And I don't mean this figuratively. I mean this literally. This is an article from CNN, okay? Wally Fingston has always been a news junkie, but since President Trump was elected, he's been so anxious about the political tumult that even just having the TV on in the background at home is unbearable. It's been crippling, said the 35-year-old San Mateo, California resident and political moderate who has supported both Democrats and Republicans in the past. I feel angry, really, really angry, far more angry than I expected to be. He's tried hard. This is CNN. He's tried hard to quell his anxiety. First, he shut down his Facebook page to limit his exposure to the daily soaking of news from Washington, but not knowing the goings-on made him nervous, too. He found himself sneaking onto Facebook an account he made for his dog. Oh, yes, there's a fellow who made a Facebook account for his dog. I felt like I was cheating, he said. Thingston is not alone in his politics-induced anxiety. It's so common it's been given an unofficial name, post-election stress disorder. Mental health professionals around the country, especially those working in Democratic strongholds, report a stream of patients coming in with anxiety and depression related to or worsened by the blast of daily news on the new administration. Well, I can actually personally vouch for this. My wife, who's a doctor, says that they've been having an influx of people who are coming in with stress-induced anxiety because of the election. There are psychiatrists who are reporting all around the state of California that they've seen their roles just dominate. They've been going up and up. They've never had to book patients like this because people are so upset about the election. CNN you know, says, in the past, therapists say it's been fairly uncommon for patients to bring up politics on the couch. It's big money to talk about politics with me. That's not what we do, said Maria Limbaris, a psychiatrist in Santa Monica, California. So the question becomes, why is it that the left has lost its mind about this particularly? You remember, there was Bush derangement syndrome. They really hated George W. Bush. They couldn't deal with the fact he was president. But this is a, it's another level. Howard Dean, who's the former head of the Democratic National Committee, here's what he had to say about people being traumatized by the election. Now is the intensity of the Hillary favorables becoming more intense, but it's not changing the overall. Number. I don't hear a name lately. Uh, only when Trump brings it up. <laughs> no, really, not that she'll come See, back, but I right now he, she's. That is a hundred percent right. But I'm betting what happens is these young people have been traumatized by Trump's election because it was essentially a a uh, reneging on every single value that somebody in this country under 35 has. They were shocked. Okay, so the, everybody is traumatized by the election. James Franco 
right, the, the overrated actor, he said that he has, he, this is what he said, he said, I mean, I've been reacting really badly. I spiraled into a depression. I've been questioning everything that I am. I wish he had questioned everything that he was before he was the Green Goblin in, in Spider-Man, because that was quite awful. So the, okay, so everybody is losing their mind over, over Trump's election. And now we have to discuss why that is. So there's no question that Donald Trump is a stressful human. Okay, Donald Trump is a stressful human. He induces stress in his opponents, in his friends, in his family. You can see, like, everybody around Trump is stressed all the time. Trump's the only person who seems pretty sanguine about being Trump. Like, it's kind of amusing, actually. Donald Trump looks very happy to be him, but everyone around him looks like they're, like they're biting through a pencil. Like, if they had a pencil, there'd be teeth marks all over the pencil. That, that's true, okay? He says things that are, are wild and crazy. He does things that are weird. All of that's true, but that's not the real reason why people are stressed. It's not the real reason why people are anxious, because it turns out that we've had a bunch of weirdos in the White House before. Now, Bill Clinton was no picnic. I think Trump's another level, but Bill Clinton was no picnic. LBJ was no picnic. We've had a bunch of weird presidents before, people who are weirdos and kooks. In the, in the 19th century, there was a whole series of weirdos and kooks right in a row before the Civil War. So, you know, this, this idea that the president is always some sort of beacon of calm and and decency in, in the country is just not true. It's just not real. So what's the real reason why this is? It's because the media ratchet everything up. The media ratchet everything up. So here's the thing. Two things can be true at once. Things can be very chaotic in Trump land. And also, that chaos can manifest in very small ways that don't actually matter to most people's lives. Here's my question. How does it matter to your life, left or right? How does it matter to your, right, your life that Trump is president? Has your life changed in any market way? Did it really change all that much under Obama? Like, I hated Obama as a president. I thought he was a terrible president. I thought he was really bad for the country. You know, and that made me anxious. It made me upset. Did it make me, like, go see a psychiatrist? No, of course not, because that's silly. But, you know, the, but did he change my life in any serious material way? I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. And I don't think that, and I think that's true for most Americans. Like if you're, if you're Baron L. Stutzman living in Washington state and the local government is shutting you down because you're a religious business owner, then you can say the government is really affecting your life in tremendously horrible ways. But the truth is most of what happens in Washington, D.C. does not have direct impact on you. Yes, there, there are times when it impacts you, but it's few and far between, I think, for the vast majority of Americans. So why is everybody really going nuts? It's because everybody's into the news, and we watch the news as entertainment, and the entertainment news has decided that everything in the world is about to collapse. We are on the edge of collapse. We're sitting right there on the cliff, and one little push by Trump, and the entire country is going to be like Wile E. Coyote. We're going to look down. We're going to be in midair. We're going to look down, realize we're in midair, and then it's going to be... And then you see the cloud of smoke puff up from the ground, right? That's, that's sort of how the media is portraying all of this. And the, the media's bias on this is really making people kind of nuts. So here's an example of some of the media's bias. This is an amazing headline from NBC News yesterday. Okay, NBC News 3. This is NBC News yesterday has this headline. Right? It's a real headline. President Trump reaches 32 days. Won't be shortest U.S. president. First of all, James Madison was the shortest U.S. president at 5-4. But second of all, it says he, he reaches 32 days and he won't be the shortest U.S. president. Okay, the implicit expectation of this headline is that we are so crazy here that we have to get Trump out of here, like right now, in the first 30 days, and we should just be grateful the world hasn't ended in the first 30 days of his administration. I think, number one, everybody is underestimating the durability of the constitutional system. There are lots of checks and balances. It turns out it's actually hard to push your agenda. It turns out that Barack Obama couldn't do all the things that he wanted to do because there were checks and balances in the system. Trump is discovering those same checks and balances inside the system. He really hasn't done anything that major yet. He hasn't. Right or left. I understand the right wants to be over the moon about Trump. Okay, fine. 
I understand the left wants to be crazy about Trump. That's a little less fine. Here's the reality. Trump hasn't done anything very big yet, right? He had the Mexico City policy. He's done a lot of little things that I think are good. He's nominated Gorsuch, which I think is a big, good thing. But that's pretty much it. Have you seen a big piece of policy come out of the Trump administration? Not yet. And so wouldn't it behoove us to wait and see? I was talking to Andrew Clavin about this yesterday because Clavin is over the moon about Trump. And what I was saying to him is it's a little too early to make hard and fast judgments about whether to be over the moon about Trump. You're, you're at a museum right now. And you're standing right up close to a Surratt painting. Okay, for people who don't know Surratt, he's a pointless painter. You know, Sunday in the Park with George, which just made this more obscure. Okay, if you're standing in front of a Surratt painting, okay, it's a bunch of dots, right? That's all you see. If you're right in front of it, it's a bunch of dots. And then as you pull out, you see that it's this amazing picture of Sunday in the Park with George, right? But if you, if you are too close to it, it just looks like a bunch of dots. We're only 30 days in. Right now, Trump's administration is a bunch of dots. It's a little too early to say that when you pull out from the picture, it's going to be a picture of nuclear Armageddon. Or that it's going to be a picture of utopia. We just don't know yet. But the media are portraying it as Armageddon, or they're saying we're right on the verge of Armageddon unless you're worried. Unless you're worried. Quick rule about worrying, folks. Worrying has never done anybody any good. Concern that drives you to action is one thing. Worry, fretting. Nobody's ever had a better life because they worried more. Okay, worry does not make your life any better. But this is what the media are pushing, this idea that we're in the middle of this giant crisis all the time. NBC released this series of propaganda videos starring children who are worried, worried about Donald Trump. These, these kids, I mean, this is indoctrination here. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President. I'm excited for a political outsider that can solve the disconnect between the American citizens and the legislators in Washington. When you speak on things that make me feel uncomfortable or I disagree with you make me feel small because I know I can't change it. I want you to know that I don't like your definition of American because I don't seem to fit within it. Most of my family is black. I'm afraid that you're gonna hurt some of us blacks. Right now, you're just kind of in the middle. You're swaying towards bad, but I think you can switch back to good. You are here attempting to whitewash America. You're gonna separate me away from my family and I really don't want that Beautiful piano music. Okay, I, I hate, I hate in politics when people use children as a, as a sort of proxy for what they want to say themselves. I hate when you use children as tools, unlike some other folks. I hate when you use children as tools. I think that it's just terrible. And so, you know, when you, when you look at this kind of video and the media is using these kids as propaganda vehicles, what do you expect people to feel like? Does this make you feel not anxious? It makes me feel more anxious. Does it make you feel anxious? It makes you feel like this poor kid, right? She's going to be walking around homeless on the streets of Los Angeles because Donald Trump personally went and kicked in a door and dragged away her screaming mother, right? How's that supposed to not make you feel nervous? And then you wonder why the anxiety is up. That's not good, by the way. When the country's anxiety is up, like we on the right, we can laugh at, ah, ha, ha, the snowflakes, ah, ha, ha. Okay, first of all, the easiest thing in the world is melting snowflakes. I do it for a living. It's very easy. It's not hard. But beyond that, it's not good when the entire country feels like it is a series of snowflakes that are melting because eventually when you have a bunch of people who are in constant crisis, anxiety, panic mode, something busts loose. And I think that we're entering the verge of that and the media is really propagating that in a major way. Well, speaking of sort of the crisis that could happen, this is why, folks, this is why you always have to be prepared for crisis. So whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the country, whether you feel like we're on a right track or a wrong track, as what we just saw in Oroville Dam up in California, 
you always have to be prepared for emergencies. Now, in, in California, there are those of us like me who have not been prepared for emergencies. You know, we've spent our time talking about how the big earthquake is coming, and then we have no actual preparations for earthquakes. That is why you need My Patriot Supply. So you get a four-week emergency food supply for 99 bucks, which is a lot of food for just $99. It makes sure that you and your family are safe and fed. You order now at 888 888- 803-1413. So 888-803-1413 or online at preparewithben.com. Preparewithben.com. So you can be down in that bunker with my podcast and your food in case things go dramatically wrong. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 28 days. 99 bucks, honestly. It's, it's a really good price for that much food. And it makes sure that you only have to buy it once and then you're, you're solid, right? I mean, then, then you're good. Stays fresh up to 25 years. You don't have to worry about this falling apart. We're actually going to do a taste test in the office because apparently the food's really good. So we're going we're gonna to have people actually taste test it in the office and we'll let you know how that goes. It's a 99 bucks plus free shipping, limit two per caller. So you can't buy like a thousand of them in case you plan to spend the next 50 years in a bunker. No. Okay, 888-803-1413, preparewithben.com, preparewithben.com. 888-803-1413 from My Patriot Supply. You always want to be prepared for emergency. Whether or not it happens, what's the worst that happens? You took 99 bucks and now you're prepared for a tornado or an earthquake or a financial collapse or or Barack Obama rushing in on his white steed to take back over the country. Right? I mean, so uh, in, in any case, that's, that's worthwhile doing. Again, it's preparewithben.com. Okay, final note about the media. The, especially about immigration, they're really making it seem like crisis point. Like Trump is going out there, knocking down doors, dragging people out of their houses. I mean, I seem to remember when Bill Clinton literally knocked down doors, literally had his SWAT teams knock down doors to drag a kid away from his family and back to Cuba. And the media didn't make a huge deal, as huge a deal out of that as they're making out of this. It was a big deal, but it wasn't as big a deal as what they're doing now. Here's a story uh, in, in, that's being promoted all over the media. A child at an anti-Trump protest talking to MSNBC, talking about how his father and, and uh, how uh, the father and uncle were deported. And actually, we've been walking with these marchers for a while now. And we were surprised to see that some of the, the littlest ones are leading this rally. People like Jose right over here. Jose, tell me, why why were you leading the march just now? Uh, because I hate Trump. And uh, so and so do my parents and other friends. And uh, he uh, deported my father and my uncle uh, because they were illegal immigrants. Thank you so much, Jose. So the immigration issue very near and dear. Random child who can now tell us a sob story. Okay, we don't know anything about his father and his uncle. We don't, and you notice that we don't know anything. Did she ask, like, so, did they have criminal records? <laughs> like, I don't know who they deported, right? I mean, the, the Trump administration so far has been focusing on people with prior history of criminality. So I assume that, you know, he's not just going uh, rounding up illegal immigrants. I live in Los Angeles, okay? Los Angeles is like the number one city in America for illegal immigration. And I haven't seen the ICE vans on the street going and rounding people up at Home Depot. It ain't happening. So this idea that there's this vast crackdown on illegal immigration, it's just not true. But now we're getting stories about women taking sanctuary in churches to avoid Donald Trump's evil deportation squads. Jim, this is a Quaker meeting house, as they call it, where they have taken in a woman from Peru and her two young children who were born in the U.S. because they say they don't want to see families split apart. Not beyond the door does Ingrid Encalada Latore feel safe. What will happen if you go back to Peru? Uh, you know, I have two children here. They go to school, and I don't, don't want to go back. Here in the Mountain View Quaker Meeting House, she and her two children have been living for the past three months. The assumption is immigration agents would not come and get her in a church. 
we don't expect that ICE would um, violate that sanctuary here. She came here from Peru 17 years ago to visit a relative and didn't leave. She was convicted of a felony for using a false social security number and has been ordered to be deported. That is pretty much why Jeanette Vizquera, a mother of four, took sanctuary in a Unitarian church. So now we've got all these people taking sanctuary in churches. It's something out of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Quasimodo swings down on his rope, grabs Esmeralda, and there they are up in the tower shouting, Sanctuary! Okay, so... Do we need a better comprehensive immigration policy? Yeah, we do. We do. Okay, I've been an advocate for a long time of the idea that we close the border and then we go through the illegal immigrants who are here and we figure out who deserves to stay and who deserves to go. I don't think that we ought to treat people as a class exactly. I don't think that just because you came in the country illegally, everybody who came in the country illegally is exactly the same. I don't think that's right. I think that's actually kind of silly. That said, the media coverage of this makes it seem like if you watch this, you would think that the Trump Gestapo is going door to door, knocking down doors and grabbing people out of their houses. I mean, how can you watch that and not feel anxious? This is why the left is anxious, and that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good. Now, we're going to have to continue talking about this on the other side of the break over at DailyWire.com. There's a lot more to come. I want to talk about how Trump is responding to all of this and whether it's ratcheting down or ratcheting up tensions. Over at DailyWire.com, become a subscriber for $8 a month. Go and check it out over there. And if you become an annual subscriber right now, then you get a free copy of the Arroyo, a fictional film about what's happening down at the southern border. We have the Shapiro store, which is coming, I think, next month. Uh, and that'll have all sorts of gear. You'll get all sorts of uh, discounts on, on that stuff. We have books that are coming out and all sorts of wonderful things if you become a subscriber right now at dailywire.com. So check that out. Also, later you can listen to us at iTunes or SoundCloud. If you do, go and rate us at the iTunes store. Um, but uh, we are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So meanwhile, the media is going after Trump full bore, and they're making everybody really anxious and scared because this is what they do. And the media are, are making it into a fight between Trump and the media. So the, so the Trump administration, instead of saying, listen, you guys, you're over the top. Calm down. Calm. Instead, they say, the media are our enemies. They are our enemies. Okay, listen, I think that sometimes the media are the enemy of the truth, and they ought to be fought tooth and nail, not because the media are, quote unquote, the enemy, but because truth is the object. Okay, truth is the object, and that means you have to fight in favor of truth, and sometimes that means fighting the enemies of truth, and sometimes those enemies are the media. But Trump is turning it into a crap fight between him and the media. Mike Pence is doing this, too. He says, we're going to continue to call out the media. This is perfectly justified, by the way, what Pence is about to say. Both the president and I strongly support a free and independent press. But you can anticipate uh, that the president uh, and uh, all of us will continue to call out the media when they play fast and loose with the facts. And the, the truth is that we have in President Trump someone who has a unique ability to speak directly to the American people. And when the media gets it wrong, I promise you, President Trump will take his case straight to the American people to set the record straight. Okay, so again, I think that the, the talking up of Trump as the representative of the American people and how unique he is, that's a little bit of Pence, you know, kissing Trump's rear. But that's basically true. You know, when you say that the media, they have to be called out, that's right. So what does the media do? They ratcheted up another step. So more anxiety, right? So here's the media on their own behalf, saying how dangerous this is. So here's Bloomberg's a guy named Mark Heileman, and he says that, that Trump's anti-media rhetoric is going to cause violence. Here he is. You know, we all, um, I think most of the people at this table, uh, were alive and, and politically conscious uh, at the time of the Oklahoma right. City bombings. And every time that Donald Trump uses this kind of language, I always worry that it's an incitement to 
uh, elements of our country that are that might uh, go ahead and do something uh, when the president of the United States calls the press the enemy of the people that they might take that seriously. Right. Um, does that concern you? Okay, does that concern you? Is it the end? He, he's, it's it's going to destroy the world. And then Scarborough says that Trump's language about the media is super duper dangerous and everybody's going to die and panic, panic, panic. Make sure that you're stocked up, you know. There are unbalanced people on the left. There are unbalanced people on the right. There are unbalanced people that support Donald Trump as well. So, yeah, this is very, very dangerous. And as Chris Wallace said yesterday on, I thought it's significant, on Fox News Sunday, the president crossed a line. We Republicans, talking about my, my, myself, you know, I hear John, John McCain saying, well, we, you know, I hate you. I hate the press. He's not joking. We grow up with the press being biased and beating us up and always giving our Democratic opponent every benefit of the doubt. That's just part of the playing field. And it's one thing to say the press is liberal. It's one thing to say the Ninth Circuit is liberal. But when you start saying that somebody has uh, is an enemy of the people, then that does incite people to violence, especially if it's coming from the president of the United States. Right. Danger, danger, danger. Everybody's going to die. And then they wonder why people are anxious. Hey, guess what? Barack Obama jailed journalists. He did. He tried to jail journalists. He tried to prosecute them. He tried to have their, their phones tapped. He, tried, he had the AP's phones tapped. He had uh, James Rosen shadowed of Fox News. You know, n none of this is, everybody's panicking a little bit too early is all I'm saying. You know, if, if you're going to, I understand, there's, there's something that's happened in the media. I've said this many times to members of the media at this point in this administration. People keep calling me about Steve Bannon because I know Steve and Steve's the White House chief strategist. And what I keep saying is they keep saying, does he have a plan? And they're saying so with a sort of desperation. Right in their voice. Does he have a plan? Like, please tell me he has a plan. And I feel like it's the Joker from Dark Knight, right? Everybody's comfortable so long as somebody has a plan. But then there's no plan. Everybody panics, right? That's, that's where we are in the political discourse. It's not panic time. It isn't panic time. The system is pretty durable. The media is not going to go away. It seems like everybody's had a pretty easy time saying that Donald Trump is wrong about a lot of stuff so far, and I haven't seen the repercussions other than Donald Trump fighting back by calling them liars and then telling a few fibs of his own. I don't think that's good, but the anxiety level is raised. Meanwhile, on the right, the anxiety level is raised, and on the left, because there are right-wing members of the media who are big supporters of Donald Trump, and they've basically come out and said that it would be okay with them if Donald Trump were to actually quash the press. So here is Sean Hannity using this sort of language that's, that's kind of unpleasant. All right, what's now obvious and so transparent is that this abusively biased press... They've now declared war on President Trump. And by the way, in turn, you, the American people who put him in office. Now we're seeing just how relevant, for example, WikiLeaks was. Remember, they exposed the rampant, rampant collusion between the press and the Clinton campaign. They had a literal, they had a stake in this election. And of course, they were one-sided, abusively so. Our suspicions have now been confirmed. All these left-wing news outlets, they thought they'd be able to stop Donald Trump from becoming president. Just take uh, a look is, at how... I'm sorry, this is, this, is, this is just ridiculous language, okay? When he says that the propaganda media is war with Americans, that justifies pretty much anything. War justifies pretty much anything. And it's truly foolish to do this routine where he suggests that the president of the United States is at war with the propaganda media on behalf of the American people, and therefore anything is okay now. Therefore, anything is okay now. And that's really where this is going, right? You know, that, and that's, that's not the only person saying this. Bill O'Reilly was saying this as well, right? Bill, Bill O'Reilly has said something very, very similar. He talks about how, you know, is it really a free press if it's a propaganda press? 
Senator McCain apparently believing that the American press is, quote, free. But is that true? Many Americans believe that the national media has now become an arm of the Democratic Party. That is, they don't coordinate with the Democrats, they're not attending meetings, but their sympathies are simpatico with the party. The Founding Fathers gave us specific freedoms so we could tell you how the people in power were behaving. But when the press aligns itself with a political movement, in this case, liberalism, then it is no longer objective or free because it's sympathizing. Yeah, Bill, you know, okay, so this idea that the press is not free unless it's objective, it seems to me that Fox News has a pretty clear agenda and they are a free press, okay? You're allowed to have an agenda and also be a member of the press. It's amazing to me that the right is now claiming that if you are not a fan of Donald Trump, you're not a member of the free press because the next step seems to be, okay, we can quash you, you're not really the press. Okay, that is something that provokes anxiety. It's so reactionary on both sides right now. Don't be one of these people. Do not be a reactionary. Do not suggest that just because the media don't like Trump, suddenly they're not the media or they're not the free press. In the, in the press, don't suggest that just because you don't like Donald Trump, everything that he does is the end of the world. I don't understand why this is an unreasonable proposal, but everybody seems so invested in the chaos that's building that they're not going to like the whirlwind that they reap. Okay, if you got both sides trolling each other into oblivion, something bad is going to happen and none of that is good. Okay, time for some things I like. And I have a very special things that I like today. The, the, I read about this woman in Reader's Digest using my texture.com app uh, slash Ben. Make sure you use the promo code to texture. Uh, this woman's name is Corey Salchert. And Corey Salchert does something truly amazing. And I just want to talk to her for a few minutes here on the program. What she does, she's a Wisconsin mother. And what she does is she adopts babies who have been abandoned and are terminally ill. And she takes care of them in their last days of life. And I think that's truly an incredible thing. And I wanted to give her a, I wanted to spotlight this because this isn't just a thing I like. This is a thing I love. Corey Salchert, thanks so much for joining the Ben Shapiro Show. Really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me. So, Corey, let me start by asking you how you got into this. How did you get into, I mean, what is something that, I mean, I find, I have two kids under three. Uh, something I'd find personally very difficult to, to deal with. How would you, I mean, it take, must take an enormous amount of strength to, sit there taking care of babies that you know are going to die in short order every day. How did you get into doing this? Uh, I would just say that I have been pro-life, you know, ever since I understood what abortion was about. And that was something as my life uh, unfolded that I worked with families when their babies would pass away. I'm a registered nurse and was a bereavement specialist and offered hospice care to families when their babies died, not just 85 in cancer, and afforded the same kind of care to them because a family member had died and the loss needed to be acknowledged, etc. Then I got really super sick and was not able to go back to work and was wondering what I was going to do now with all of the education that I had and the life experiences, etc. Got a call in 2012, late summer, that there was a baby um, whose mom had not been able to stay. Abandoned sometimes just comes across as like so... I, I tend to not go there. You know, mm -hmm. parents mm -hmm. are just un, unable to stay and I don't know why and I don't... Uh, explore all of that. All I know is that there is still a child over here with a terminal illness or prognosis that needs a family. And um, so I will tell you that it isn't a matter of my personally just having such great strength that somebody else doesn't have. What I have realized over these years, um, I am a Christian and 
uh, I firmly believe there's, it has been said that there is no woman so brave as she who is con fully convinced that she is loved by God. And I have chosen to be brave in the face of this simply because I can turn away and I can say I don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And the grief is too much. But that still leaves a child dying without a home, without a family, possibly without a name. And that, for me, is even worse. So, Corey, so I, I want to ask you a question about that, that I get a lot. You know, when I'm on the road, I speak a lot of colleges, yeah. and I answer a lot of questions about abortion particularly. And one of the ones that comes up a lot is, what do you do with a, a kid who you know is going to be terminally ill while they're in the womb? And I wanted you to, I wanted you to talk a little bit about what you think the value of human life is because you deal with these babies all the time. It's an abstraction to, to most people, but you actually right. deal with babies that are terminally ill all the time and who die you know, virtually all the time before they reach an age where they can even speak in many cases. What do you think is the value of human life in a, in a child who's never going to reach the age of maturity who's terminally ill and suffering? My take on that is that it's not my place to take that life. And um, so... Being pro-life, but not want to be in somebody's face and say, I know that your child has a fatal fetal anomaly, not going to live outside of the womb, uh, probably not for very long if they do make it. Um, I have asked to come alongside them because I understand that it is tragic and it is like the hardest thing that you might ever have to go through. To just not cut that short and think that by ending that life, terminating that pregnancy, killing that child, that somehow that's going to be better. <laughs> so to hold on during that process and that God would take that child home when they're, when they're supposed to go instead of preemptively deciding that, that they should go. I believe that we have value simply because we are created in the image of God, not because we're productive, not because we are um, considered valuable as far as society in contributing. I have children who cannot speak. I have children who are not even able to smile. They cannot necessarily acknowledge that the doctors have said they are in a persistent vegetative state, having no meaningful communication with the world. And that's fine. But I don't take care of them because they are going to meaningful, meaningfully interact with me. I take care of them because they are made in the image of God and they deserve the dignity of having their skin cared for and being loved and being nurtured, whether they're ever able to give back to me or not. It is a totally unconditional thing and it is left in the hands of God. You know what? He will decide when they're going to go. Um, and he sustains us, honestly, day by day to be able to give to these children who are not going to get up someday, get out of that bed, get a job and support me in my old age. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. And, and quite honestly, I mean, there's a lot of tears that are shed, but these children need to have somebody who is crying over them instead of, you know, waiting for them to pass away so that they can be taken out the back door in a body bag, unnoticed and grave unmarked. That is not the children's case who come and live with me. So, Corey, how, how can people help? If they want to help you, if they, want to, if they want to make sure that there are more kids like this who are cared for, is there a way that people can reach out to you and help you? Because you have a big audience, and I'm sure that hearing this story, there are a lot of people who want to help out. 
Well, at this point in time, um, we are in process, at least I hope we are. <laughs> People have said that they're putting me in contact with some folks that can help me set up a nonprofit because I don't have one so far. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're a regular family that we do medical treatment, foster care. So if somebody wants to be able to do this and has a heart for those children and can understand, I can't change the fact that this baby is going to die and now we're bringing home a 13-year-old with a terminal illness. I can't change the fact that they're going to die. What I can do is make sure that they have some quality of life before that happens. And that is a very powerful position. I do not feel hopeless. I do not feel helpless. Sad? Yes, absolutely. Uh, helpless? Uh-uh. No despair over this kind of thing. They want to get into it. We are medical treatment foster parents. And... We have taken in other foster kids, but it also puts us in the running for when these kiddos come up at our local children's hospital mm -hmm. uh, in Milwaukee, that, you know, we would be a family that they would be able to go to. Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful work. And, and Corey, I, I want us to reach out to you after this and see how much we can help you in terms of setting up a 501c3, maybe helping you get some funding for it, because I think what you're doing is really important work. So after we're done here, then we'll reach out to you and see how much we can help you on that, because uh, I think you're doing amazing work. Thanks so much for joining the program and telling people what you do, because I think that it's important for people to know, number one, that there are people like you out there taking care of kids post-birth who have these problems. Yeah, and, and, and number two, I think that it's important for people to hear that these children do have value, uh, not only to other human beings, but to God, and, and their, their life's inherently valuable. So thanks so much for joining the program. Absolutely. really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ben. That's Corey Salchert, and she obviously is doing amazing work taking care of terminal babies. And, and I, I'm serious about that. I want to reach out after the show. Guys, remind me. I want to reach out after the show and see if we can help her with setting up a 501c3, help make that happen, maybe get some funding to her, because she's obviously doing amazing work that needs to be done. Okay, other things that I like on a much lighter note. Uh, there is a, um, uh, there, there's a, we've been doing con men films this week, uh, and there is a, there's another film that is a con man film that's, uh, that I love that nobody's ever seen. It's called The Flim Flam Man with George C. Scott. This is from the 1970s, post his patent days, uh, and it's, a, it's actually a really good movie. The score is really great. I think it's a Jerry Goldsmith score. Here's a, one of the scenes from The Flim Flam Man. You did it! All aboard, partner! You're a genius. Ain't we going too fast? Yeah. Speed is of the essence when one is, uh, forgive the pun, making tracks. <laughs> That's a lesson I learned during my carnival, uh, my tent show, Dave. I must say it's proved tried and true during the times I've been hooked about. It's a really fun movie, but the, the, the basis of the movie is basically George C. Scott is this old con man, and there's a young con man who's up and coming and wants to get in the business and learn from George C. Scott, and he basically learns that it's the, why it's terrible to con people. He falls in love with one of his marks. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun movie. Uh, there's nothing in it that's remotely objectionable. It's very funny, a uh, very charming film. It, it, charming is not a word you hear with film very often. You know, it, It's something that you lose. Uh, sometime this week, maybe tomorrow, for a Stuff I Hate, I'm going to have to do Manchester by the Sea, because speaking of charming, no. So we're going to have to talk about Manchester by the Sea. But this is a charming film, and it's something that you'll enjoy. And it teaches you that con men are bad, folks. Yes. Okay, so time for a couple of things that I hate. We'll do one thing I hate, I think. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a, a new ad that's come out in the state of Texas. Uh, Richard Linklater, who's a, this famous director, famous for making mediocre films that everybody overrates, uh, he made an ad about how it's terrible, terrible that Texas is having an, an anti-transgender bathroom bill. Uh, the bill just says that you should go to the bath, you should go pee-pee in the potty 
corresponding to your genitalia. You don't get to use your feelings, right? It's not, it's not the end of Star Wars, and it's not, Luke, let your feelings flow free, right? It's not, when you go to the bathroom, it's not, it's not Luke trying to shoot a, uh, trying to shoot a uh, proton torpedo down the, down the chute in the, in, the, in the Death Star, okay? It turns out that you should actually go where the genitalia say you should go. So uh, here is the ad that they cut against the transgender bathroom bill. Texas lawmakers want to pass SB6, the bathroom bill, keeping transgender people from using the bathrooms that they identify with. Now we can stop the bill, but there's only one way. You've got to roll up your sleeves, pull down your pants, and pee with LGBT. You got to take a seat to make a stand. You got to spray it to say it. Because this isn't a privacy issue. And we can take care of ourselves. Because money should be spent keeping kids in school, not out of bathrooms. Don't run in my hallway. Because passing that bill discriminates against family and friends. And me. And that guy. Because SB6 threatens Texas businesses. And because we damn sure ain't gonna end up like North Carolina. IP. 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 IP with LGBT. Because everybody pees. And everybody deserves a safe place too. IP with LGBT. IP with LGBT. Yes, that is the, the landmark slogan that is going to take over the hearts and minds throughout America. IP with LGBT. Okay, first of all, I, I would just like to point this out. Has anyone ever had a problem with peeing next to a gay person? No. Nope. Like, anybody? Like, uh, lesbian, gay? Like, do, do you actually know the sexual orientation of the person who's sitting in the stall next to you unless that person is Larry Craig and he's toe-tapping? Right? I'm pr- pretty, pretty sure not, right? So, no on that. No on that. Uh, second of all, to, to suggest that it is it is ridiculous for a small child to be uncomfortable when a, when a grown man walks into the bathroom is very silly. And what's amazing is that whenever people talk about LGBT, they neglect one crucial fact about LGBT, right? What they do is they take the person who's like post-surgery and looks the most like the person of the opposite sex. That's not what the transgender civil rights movement says, okay? The transgender civil rights movement makes the case that I, today, could walk into a girl's bathroom and if I, to myself, identify as female, I could just go in there and pee. I don't have to look like a girl. I don't have to take on all of the gender normative trappings that that womanhood means, right? That's this is what the, the transgender movement suggests. Is it wrong for a woman to feel wi- weirdly un- uncomfortable if I just walk in like Alex Jones and I'm like, I gotta pee! Let's do this thing! Right? Would that be weird? And yes, I, I have a shirt under my other shirt just so I can do my Alex Jones routine. Yes, that's, it's, it, it, these ads are so ridiculous. Also, they neglect the point, which is that the, the transgender bathroom bill does not apply to private businesses. If you're a private business, you can have as many non-sexual specific bathrooms as you please. It applies to public buildings. It applies to like the public library. But if you, when it says it kills business, in what way does it kill business? When's the last time you as a business were killed because a transgender person walked in and you said, you know, please use the bathroom that corresponds to your gender? It's not ridiculous to suggest that people ought to feel safe in the bathroom where they are exposing themselves in order to urinate. And, it's, and I, I, I love the idea that it's just peeing is, is group sport now. Very weird. You're just sitting there handing toilet paper rolls to each other. And first of all, just general note, people, don't talk to each other while you're peeing, especially guys. Like girls, I know, you, I know girls do this, I've heard. I've never been in a girl's bathroom, so I wouldn't know, but I've heard. Guys, if you're peeing, please don't talk. Like, just come into your business and leave. There's nothing more irritating than somebody who wants to have a chat while you're urinating. Okay, with that out of the way, time for a little bit of deconstructing the culture. So, Katy Perry has a new song, unfortunately for us all, and it's called Chain to the Rhythm, 
which means that I have been chained to deconstructing the culture and now can feel the quicksand pulling me down link by link. So she has this new song, Chains to the Rhythm, and it is as crappy as all other Katy Perry songs except twice so. Here is her song, Chained to the Rhythm. It's like a lot of tiny furniture. Hey, I don't understand. Do you guys get why this is happening in a dollhouse? I'm confused. Somebody's cooking a tiny, tiny burger. Which looks delicious if you're a tiny, tiny person. So put your rose-colored glasses on and party on. This is as much as I can take before I hurl myself bodily from the second story window of this building. Um, so here's the actual lyric. The actual lyric, if you couldn't hear it, is living our lives through a lens. I love when, when artists go meta. Like they're super rich and they're super wealthy and they've made their money just distracting people because that's what most entertainment is. And now they're like, you know what? I got to speak about the issues. And the way I speak up about the issues is by making a music video of a person making a tiny, tiny hamburger in a tiny, tiny house. <laughs> I've cured the world's ills says, living our lives through a lens, trapped in our white picket fence like ornaments, so comfortable we're living in a bubble, bubble, so comfortable we cannot see the trouble, tr- ah, ha, 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 clever rhyming, bubble in trouble, I've got it, aren't you lonely up there in utopia where nothing will ever be enough, happily numb, so comfortable we're living in a bubble, so put your rose-colored glasses on and party on, turn it up, it's your favorite song, I will say that I do admire a woman who can put the line, stumbling around like a wasted zombie, yeah, in the middle of a song, That's, that, that does take some talent. And basically, this is her cry. Listen to us about politics. Please listen to us about politics. Question, does this video make you want to listen to her about politics? Or does it just make you want to be a tiny person eating what looks like delicious spaghetti? (laughs) I I, I really don't understand what the point of any of this is. Um, But I guess the idea is that we are all dolls living in a fake plastic world. I, I like that she does take credit for it, right? She says that I've been part of the problem, right? She said that there's one point in this song where she basically, she says, this one's on me, right? That this is this is partly her fault. Okay, it is partly her fault. But again, I'm sorry. Your your aware, awareness raising routine during this election cycle meant nothing. It completely fell apart because it turned out that you raised our awareness to you, and we were annoyed by you, and so then we voted for the other person. Right? A lot of Americans voted for the other person. It just demonstrates the sort of self absorption of these people. They're the ones who actually live in a bubble, bubble, and they cannot see the trouble, trouble. Right? They're the ones who live in their utopia. Most of the people who voted for Trump in, like, Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania were not people who were living in a bubble, bubble who could not see the trouble, trouble and live in a utopia. It's Katy Perry living in her $10 million house, dating Russell Brand and then not dating Russell Brand, while making videos about a hamster eating a hot dog. I'm going to go with that's the bubble, and you're not really convincing people that they ought to get out of their bubble when you're the one making the case, because that's all you do is you live there. Okay, so I have a joke that I have to tell you. I have to admit, you may not get this joke for a little while. But I'm going to tell the joke anyway just to conclude today's podcast. And it's a little cryptic, so just be warned, okay? Two men decide to have a brick-throwing contest. The first man takes a brick 
and he throws it as far as he can. It goes 25 feet. The second man takes a brick, and he throws it as far as it can. It goes 50 feet. The first guy picks up another brick. He throws it as hard as he can, and the brick never comes down. What? You don't get it? You will. You will. Give it time. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlo, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlo's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlo's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE. <laughs> 